Okay, so the reading's taken from Exodus chapter 7, uh, reading from 8 to 24, and then we'll be reading a bit from chapter 8. So it's in uh, page 63 of the Church Bibles. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw down his staff in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned the wise men and sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians who also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile, and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go, so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron just did as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. And then we're just going to read chapter 8, verses 16 to 19. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the Egyptians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. Well, good morning. I understand that you are making this journey through Exodus, is that right? And we're kind of going over the same ground with different angles at the moment. Last week was Pharaoh's heart and how he got hardened. Thank you for those of you who were paying attention last week. And uh, this week then we're looking at the magicians and so on. Is that right? Well, some people think we are. Okay, let's, let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word to us. We pray that as we think about it together now that you will speak to us and reveal more of your plan for each of us. Amen. So, we're looking at magicians and the counterfeit gods. What was going on? Is this going to work for me today? This would be great if it would. 
Perhaps not. We might need to do a little bit of finger poking at the back just to make it move along. Thank you. So what was going on here? Come on, you've had the story lots of times over. What's, what was going on? Well, let's ask first, what was going on for Pharaoh then? If we can click on, that would be good. What was going on for Pharaoh? He wasn't prepared to let the people go. His heart was having a, a hardening. And back in chapter 5, when Moses and Aaron first turned up and said, God wants his people to go, Pharaoh replied, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? <clears throat> Excuse me. This has not yet turned to blood, so it's safe to drink it. Um, I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. So part of what's going on over the next few chapters for Pharaoh is he is working out, or having it worked out for him, that the Lord is actually God. We'll come on to that again in a moment. And he has to be convinced that he should obey God because God is more powerful than the other gods of Egypt. But we can click on what was going on for the Israelites. This is not going well with the interactive reproach normally at St. Margaret's this morning, is it? And he made to change his approach here. So what it says in, if we just click on, that would be great. What was going on for the Israelites? Well, they, Moses and Aaron had turned up. Moses, where had he been all these years? Suddenly he bounds back in this guy who grew up in Pharaoh's palace. And he starts telling them things. And they could have thought, well, who on earth are you, mate? But then he starts doing these miraculous signs, him and his brother. And it says in chapter 4 that they were convinced by Moses and Aaron's words and miracles that actually they were worth listening to. We have to bear in mind also that the Israelites had been in Egypt for some 400 years. And this latter part of the time, they were slaves. I don't know about you, but as I kind of hang around in Bradford, I become a bit more Bradford. Does that happen for you? You know, I was going whoop whoop yesterday because we're on the shortlist for City of Culture. We've made the last four now. Yeah, when I lived in Birmingham, I'd have, I'd have gone, well, that's interesting. It's nice for Bradford. Now I live here. Whoa, it's not good. And the Israelites have been in Egypt for 400 years, and they had absorbed, I think, a whole lot of Egypt. And part of what I think is going on with these miracles and the plagues is that they are having to work out just who God is. That they've been infected, I suspect, by the various practices of the Egyptians and the things that they worshipped and think that was okay. And there's something about being in, in Britain, in a Western nation, that we take on things which when we talk to Christians from another part of the world, they go, you think that's okay? Just as when we might go to Christians in another part of the world, we see what they do and we go, you think that's okay? Because we've absorbed things from our culture which we think are okay, but actually might not be. I think part of what's going on with these plagues is that the Israelites are also having to work out who God is and who God isn't. 
So what was going on? Next slide, please. I think there's two battles going on. There's a battle against Pharaoh for the Israelites' freedom, but there's also a battle against the Egyptian gods for the complete loyalty and worship of the Israelites. And so, in each of these plagues, if we can click on to the next slide, we're looking at the first, well, Hazel read the first two because we kind of skipped over one in the in-between bit, and there's seven more to come after that. Um, but the first three plagues, if we can skip on to the next slide, there's different gods associated with the things which are being taken on here. So the Nile was the source of all kinds of life in Egypt. You know, we need water. Without water, nothing flourishes. And so the god of the Nile was happy. It was obviously worshipped by the Egyptians because that was the source of life. Frogs, which is a bit hazel, didn't read in the bit in between. Heket is a god of fertility, had a frog's head. So when the Egyptians see a frog, they're thinking of Heket, the god. God of fertility, both for people and for crops. Who doesn't need that? And then gnats, which is the, which is the one which we um, had again today. Geb was the god of the earth. Again, that's the link with gnats. And each of these seven plagues which follow on, each of them takes on one of the gods of Egypt and shows who is God. And it's not the god of the Egyptians or the goddess of the Egyptians. What happens with the magicians is that the first time, turning water into blood, well, they can do that. Well, I'm not quite, I'm not going to do the magic trick. Someone said to me as I came in, are you going to do some magic this morning then? No, play to your strengths, I won't do that. But they could, why, why would you want to do that? They wanted to do it because they wanted to copy what Moses had done. Otherwise they wouldn't have done it. And they can make frogs appear as well, it would appear. What they can't do though, is make them go away. Only Moses can do that. And then when the gnats appear, they can't copy that. They've worked out the end of their capabilities. And we'll come on a bit more to think about what that means. But the counterfeits are there. So let's have a think. We've got these ten plagues going on. Have the next slide. It takes <clears throat> why ten? It takes a long while, doesn't it? Could God just not just go sort out Pharaoh's heart, have them go? Yeah, we got this thing. You know, the Bible doesn't give us the how long was between each plague bit. Kind of irritating. I'd like to know that, but it doesn't tell us. But it's a long and drawn out process. Why was that long and drawn out? Well, I think there's a number of reasons. The first one is that God had to show who was God. That overcoming the God of the Nile, well, okay, but what about the sun God? Well, we get to the sun God at plague nine with darkness. That God was taking them down one by one sequentially. 
showing that he is God over all of these things. But also, how good's your memory? Not, well, mine's not as good as it used to be, obviously. It's all still there, just you know, like an old hard drive. It takes a lot longer to access the information these days. But there's much more of a story with God working ten plagues than if there's just the one. And as you read the Psalms and other things, you, you see the Israelites remember their story. And the fact it's a longer and drawn-out story means it's a, an easier story to remember, I think. That there's more of it, more to latch on to, more to recognize your part in it. <clears throat> and so they tell the story oh, through the generations about how God set them free. <clears throat> but also, progressively what happens through each of these plagues is that a distinction is drawn, and people have to choose which camp they're in. <clears throat> and what we see with um, one of the plagues, when the, when the livestock are afflicted, is that some of, the, some of the Egyptians go, if that's what's coming, then the God of the Israelites is going to do it, and we're going to shelter from the hail. And so they choose to respond towards God. And then other plagues happen, and they don't afflict the Israelites. It doesn't happen in their part of the land. A distinction is being drawn, and people are having to choose. Are you with the gods of the Egyptians, or are you with Yahweh? Are you with the Lord? I think that mirrors some of our own journey in discipleship. Well, it does, it does for me. That the way the Holy Spirit works with me is not... Okay, Andy, here's the 50 things you need to sort out in your life. We're going to do them all today. Does that happen with you? That God works with us progressively over time to make us more like Jesus. And he might take on one thing this, this month, or I'm a bit slow this year. And then next year, there's something more that I need to work on to become more like Jesus. And so what's happening in this time is that God is working progressively with his people to release them from the influence of these Egyptian gods. And so this time helps them to shake off their patterns of thinking, the ways in which they'll be infected over these 400 years with Egyptian thinking. It slowly releases them from that. That's what's going on. We could have had the next slide, which will summarize those four points. Ta-da! Right. And I think for us, as we start to do anything bold and adventurous for God, we know that we're in a fight. Because our enemy is very happy if we turn and roll over in our bed on a Sunday morning and think, oh, well, I know St. Margaret's is 10 o'clock, but, well, another bit of a kip, a bit longer. Or I could really talk to that person in my workplace about Jesus. You know, they're going through a difficult time. I could draw alongside them or, well, I wouldn't want to intrude, would I? And we have an enemy who wants to stop us from doing the good things that God has called us to. 
And if we're complacent or lazy or just disengaged from the battle, there's nothing for us to worry about, is there? Nothing, nothing for our enemy to worry about. And so part of, I think, the question as Moses faces off, faces off with, the, uh, with the magicians is, are we up for the battle? It would have been very easy for Moses to have seen those magicians with their, all their wise words and a big crowd of them and think, well, there's only two of us and there's loads of them. Perhaps we'll just stay home today. But he chose to go and to engage. And so I think the questions, there's two questions for us today, which is, are we actually up for the battle? Are we ready for a long fight, if we can have the next, next slide? For the Israelites, the whole 10 plague season was a long time. It would be very easy for them to have quit. But progressively, they're being chosen and called and responding to that call to see that they are God's people and to behave in the same way. So when we get to the 10th plague, really, that they're asked to do anything, plague of the firstborn, when they're asked to kill a lamb and put the blood on the lintels and so on, to clearly identify themselves as we are with God. Are we up for being called and responding to battle with the Lord for Bradford, for Frising Hall? Are we up for that? Because if we are, we need to be equipped and ready for the fight. I don't want to stray too far into Ukraine and all the tragedy that's unfolding there. But it seems quite clear that the Russians hadn't got some very ready soldiers. They didn't know what they were going to do. Perhaps they don't know what they're going to do. They're not doing very well because they're not ready for the fight. Praise God they're not ready. Because if they were, how bad would it be? But we're called into a battle for Bradford. That this should be the Lord's city. And part of that is making sure that we're ready for that battle. Which is about how we do things like being holy. Well, the enemy is fighting with you. The enemy looks for your weak spot to attack, not your strong spot, for your weak spot. To attack the places where perhaps we're most prone to temptation, most likely to give in, to attack those places. Preached a couple of weeks ago on Jesus and his temptations in the wilderness. The enemy goes for the force of his identity. If you are the Son of God, knowing who we are is really important. It's important for Jesus, it's important for us too. Because if we are God's children, then let's behave like God's children, not like children of something else. Let's be concerned about our unity. Let's not be fighting each other. And let's be people of prayer. Because it all starts in prayer. The things that we want to see God accomplish in our city, we need to be praying 
into those things. Let's be praying for our leaders, leaders of our city, leaders of our churches. Let's be praying for them. One of the tactics you see the Ukrainians have been taking is to try and get the Russian generals. That's been a key part, I think, what stopped the Russian advance. The enemy is the same. To shoot at our leaders. Let's pray for them. Uphold them. Let's have a look at the... Sorry, I'm thinking this like, like it might work. Oh, it, was that me? How, ex, how exciting. There we have... <clears throat> this is the best picture I could find of Moses and a, and a pharaoh and, a, and an Egyptian. And um, Moses is turning the, the Nile to blood. But these magicians were limited... And we see this too with the kind of counterfeit gods that we have in our day. That they can only copy the good stuff that God does. They can only mimic it. They can only mimic some of it. Can't do all of it. And what's really key is that they couldn't clear up the mess. The frogs which were everywhere, it was Moses who made them die. And then they ran out of tricks long before Moses, equipped by God. And it's the same with the counterfeit gods that we have in our society today, in our world today. You can only copy the good stuff that God does, and only some of it. But they run out of possibilities. And it's only God who's really in the business of redemption and restoration and making good things out of things which have been messed up. It takes God to do that. And our magicians couldn't do it. I'm very fond of um, a quote from David Foster Wallace. He wasn't perhaps the best person in the world ever, but he did say these wonderful things. He said, there's no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, then you'll never have enough. Never feel you've enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you'll always feel ugly. Worship power, and you'll feel weak and afraid. Hi, Zeke. And you'll need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart. You'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the edge of being found out, and so on. We worship because we're made for it. That's how God designed us. But we have a choice about what we worship. What we know is that worshipping the one true God who's appeared in Jesus Christ leads us to life. What David Foster Wallace recognises is that if you worship these other things, they destroy you. 
But he also went on to say a bit more. He said the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or, so, or sinful. It's that they're unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. And the world will not discourage you from operating on your default settings because the world is full of men, he said, and, wit and, and money and power turns along quite nicely on that fuel of fear and contempt and frustration and craving at the worship of self. What he's saying is that in our day, there are also magicians who are very happy if we're going along worshipping the counterfeits and will help us to do that. And one of the joys of being part of a global community of church is that we can help each other to see from our different cultural backgrounds where we have swallowed the lies of our culture and worshipped counterfeit gods. We need to listen to our brothers and sisters from other parts of the world and hope that they will, in their, in their generosity, listen to us as we help each other to see the counterfeit gods that we have chosen to worship and the counterfeit magicians of our day who have deceived us as the magicians deceived Pharaoh with their attempts at power. Now we can kind of take a guess at what the false gods may be for us and each of us will have our own particular weaknesses or preferences. It might be the self-help industry with the various gurus around that. It might be the worship of the things which sit in our pockets all the time and consume our attention. And there's plenty of people who will develop you yet another app to just distract you for a bit longer. My pursuits of materialism, that we do just need a bit more of something else to make our life more comfortable. And there's plenty of people who will sell us whatever it is they, they want to push in our way. One of the things the pandemic has showed us is the limits of what we can assume in terms of our health. There are many particular gods out there. It took 10 plagues to reveal and to lay down the gods of Egypt. How many might it take in our day to reveal all the gods in our society that we are influenced by and many others worship? And who are their magicians or high priests? Well, it's the advertising industry, obviously. Self-help gurus. People who will come out with things which look persuasive in the same way as the magicians looked persuasive to Pharaoh. But remember the limitations of the magicians? They could only copy what God was doing. They couldn't fix things, not really. And then he took, went so far that if we want to find real life in abundance, it's only found 
in Jesus. So that's the standard we measure against. Are these people leading us towards Jesus or leading us away from Jesus and the standards that he sets? So in the same way as the Israelites were infected, I think, by Egypt and its culture and its worship, what are we influenced by today? What are we blind to because of the culture we live in? Let's recognize that these gods are false and that they have their magicians or high priests who would also deceive us. And our standard is Jesus. We choose him and we choose the life which he offers. So shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus and the life that you offer in him. And Lord, we want to pray that you will help us to see the false gods that we're influenced by who pull us away from you. Help us to recognize them for what they are and see that they lead not to life but to death. And like the Israelites, Lord, we pray that you will help us to keep choosing you and your ways over the counterfeits. That we may be a people who are holy, people who are united, a people who are praying for the coming of your kingdom and working for it. And we ask this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.